Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. Today I have a special guest, one of my good friends, Millie. Hey guys. So she has a podcast of her own. What's the title of your podcast? It's called Relearn Relationship. Yes, so I'm going to leave that in my description below, so you should definitely go check it out. She's very um, insightful and has lots of wisdom on mental health and trauma and Jesus. So... Anyway, how do you want to share how we know each other so the audience can get to know us a little bit more? Sure. Well, it's interesting because Jolie and I became friends in 2019, like ourselves, but we actually both had the same person that was a huge influence in our life, um, Tiffany Edwards. And so when I was a teenager, my husband and I got pregnant with our son, Jonas, and uh, we didn't get married right away. We didn't get married for until Jonas was about two years old. And in that span of time, I actually lived with John and Tiffany Edwards and their family and my son Jonas. And so Tiffany was someone that I just really look up to and, and had a huge impact on my life. And a few years after that, because I'm about, am I 10 years older than you? I'm yep. about 10 years older than Jolie. Um, so a little bit after I was out on my own, then... Um, I saw that Tiffany was spending a lot of time with Jolie, and so I'd kind of seen her, but never actually gotten to know her myself, until one day, we randomly ended up under a stage <laughs> at Elevate, hiding for a game, and that's how we became friends. Yeah, fun story. <laughs> All right, so our episode today is called The PTSD Overcomer. When I saw this online, I saw Jolie had posted a poll about um, the chase of ADHD and the PTSD Overcomer, and I was a little bit confused and a little bit like what are you talking about and so her and I had a conversation and she shared with me what she meant by that can you tell everyone yeah so what I mean by that is at first I had typed in overcomer of PTSD but then I stopped myself because I was like hmm, that kind of insinuates that you've overcome PTSD <laughs> Um, so that in insinuates that you can overcome PTSD or that I have overcome PTSD. And that's not the case for most people, I would almost argue, really anyone. I'm not putting limits on God, but the average person doesn't just overcome PTSD. And so I decided to switch it around and say PTSD overcoming, overcomer, meaning that we are constantly overcoming PTSD, but it's not something that will ever maybe truly fully overcome. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we'll kind of talk about how we each are affected by PTSD, and we'll have Millie go first. Thanks, Jolie. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so I grew up, the first part of my life was really great, as far as I can remember. And my mom and dad were married, and I'm number five out of six kids. And then when I was about five years old, my family life started falling apart. And we moved across the country several times. Um, within three years, we moved from Minnesota to Colorado to Texas to California, back to Minnesota. Wow. And um, my parents ended up getting divorced, and my dad left. Our mom, who'd been a stay-at-home mom for the 24 years that they had been married. And shortly after that, I started experiencing sexual abuse. And um, because of the situation that my dad left our family in, I also experienced some emotional and physical neglect as my mom was working through the pain and trauma of what she had experienced and also when she started working towards her um, degree to be able to provide for our family. And so uh, the big things that, that have affected me would be sexual abuse, 
abandonment and neglect. Yeah. Yeah, those are some pretty big hurdles, especially at starting at such a young age. So when I was growing up, I grew up with my mom and I would kind of go to my dad's on and off. But both of my parents struggled with their own various addictions. And because of that, I was exposed to a lot of different kinds of abuse growing up. And that for a young child is very traumatizing. And most of my childhood, I actually don't remember a lot of it. I've blocked out a significant chunk of my childhood. A lot of my memories actually start happening around the age of 12. That's really, that's really common actually for people who've experienced abuse and um, even not even necessarily abuse, but just traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. And just to give you guys an understanding, trauma can be described most simply as being put in a situation that made you feel terrified and helpless. And so in these situations where we feel completely afraid and also unable to do anything about it, that causes trauma in us. And a lot of people that have traumatic experiences actually block those things out because their nervous system and their brain isn't capable of receiving those messages or remembering those things. Mm -hmm. I learned this recently that um, traumatic memories actually have their own micro voltage in our brain because our brain and our nervous system is all this electrical thing and so when a memory is more powerful than we can manage it actually trips our amygdala which is our which causes our fight flight or freeze in our limbic system and we won't remember it because that memory is more powerful the micro voltage is more than our brain can take yeah but the cool thing is there's a way to kind of hack it and reverse it and uh, maybe we'll talk about that Yeah. Okay, so that's a little bit as to why Millie and I are um, educated or passionate, if you will, about PTSD, because we both have gone through traumatic things throughout our lives as we were growing up, and we want to spread awareness and talk about how you can overcome aspects of PTSD, and you don't have to let any, really any kind of mental illness hold you down from being who God's called you to be. So, Millie, if you will, if you want to talk about some more of the symptoms of PTSD. Yeah, so PTSD actually stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. And PTSD can happen in someone's life when they're exposed to a single instance or a single context threat. So that could be something like uh, a car accident. It could be uh, a single assault. Um, It could be war. That would be the single context. Some of the symptoms that people might experience would be things like intrusive, involuntary, and recurrent thoughts of the threat. Uh, They might have flashbacks, visual and somatic. So somatic would be like things in their body. And then they could have loss of memory or aspects of the trauma, kind of like we were talking about Mm -hmm. a moment ago. They could have dissociative symptoms, which is basically pulling so far into their own mind that they disconnect with the external world. They could have intense or prolonged distress following the event, negative um, alteration in mood, agitation, or aggressive outbursts. Um, This is, that's kind of the thing where, Uh, people might feel like they're walking around on eggshells Mm because they never know if what they're going to do is going to set someone off or not. Um, They might have moral injury. They might have physical reactivity or hypervigilance. So then Mm -hmm. they feel always tense. Or these are the people you might see when you get together with a group. They want to be in the corner of the room facing the door and everyone so they can see who's coming in and who's there. It's kind of a way of assessing their safety. And then um, they especially uh, struggle with wanting to avoid 
triggers or things that remind them of their trauma. Hmm. So I kind of feel like we should share a little bit about what our main symptoms are. Now, of course, there are probably underlying symptoms that we both haven't realized are stemming from our traumatic um, exposures in the past. But for me, one of the big ones I feel is the hypervigilance, but not like, would it be that? So what what I'm meaning is I'm feel like I'm always super hyper aware of what's going on around me. Mm -hmm. And I am listening to conversations that are happening around the corner and also the one that's happening right like one on one with me and then to the left of me, I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm always trying to be aware and assessing what's going on. And then counterpart to that is like my body is always kind of tense, like I'm always, I wouldn't say anxious, but I guess I suppose in a way it is a form of anxiousness where I just always like I'm ready to go like I'm ready to fight or whatever and so I am super easily scared and Mm -hmm. I'm a really jumpy person because of that because I'm always just waiting for that next like sound or that next remind or like that reminder of uh oh maybe a fight's gonna happen or like I just heard a loud bang like it's going on Mm -hmm. so that's those are my main symptoms and oddly enough I one of the symptoms you listed was trying to avoid the things that trigger you I feel like I'm the opposite of that Mm. like I've actually gone to some of the men's court hearings because I want to see them and I want to know what's going to happen to them and I'm sure again that's part of like the vigilance of like what's going on around me are they going to be away are they going to be gone am I going to be safe right Mm -hmm. but then there's also been there was a specific house where a lot of bad things happened and when my PTSD was quite bad, it was 2020 because, as we know, a lot, a lot of us went through a lot of things. <laughs> a lot was coming out. Yeah. And I actually would drive out to that house and look at it when I would start feeling panic coming because I just needed to see, like, I'm not there and mm. things actually aren't happening to me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so big, Julie. That's so big. And it makes so much sense that you'd have hypervigilance because you had to always be aware of what what people were doing around you and then how they're responding. And it makes me wonder, are you like super aware of people emotionally? Like you can read their face or their tone. And if you see a certain look on someone's face or hear a certain tone in their voice, does it, does it cause you to like get ready for a conflict? Um, I don't know. I, I notice people's face and their emotions and their body language super quickly. Like I can walk into a room and almost read every single person there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it gears me for a conflict. If anything, it almost makes me shut down, mm-hmm. especially if they if I'm feeling from them sadness or agitation. And I feel like, because when I was younger, I feel like my voice was really taken away from me. Mm-hmm. And so... But I'm not sure that I would attribute that to a conflict with that person or a conflict could arise. I just get, like, in a sense, scared. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. Um, so my main symptoms, interestingly enough, um, we're going to be talking in just a minute about CPTSD, which mm-hmm. is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And most of my symptoms on a, like, day-to-day basis fall within that category. Okay. So do you want to tell us what CPTSD sure, is? Yeah. Then? Yeah, so so CPTSD is stands for complex PTSD. The thing that's important to understand about this is that in the DSM-5, which is the um, the manual that's used by mental health professionals in the United States and around the world 
to diagnose. They don't actually recognize CPTSD yet, but there's another manual, and I forget the name of it, I'll have to look it up and we can add it, uh, that's used by other mental health professionals around the world, and they actually recognize CPTSD and have for many years. The big difference between complex post-traumatic stress disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder is that complex post-traumatic stress disorder has to have been an ongoing or recurrent exposure to prolonged chronic interpersonal threat and instability, and it has to have started before the age of eight. And so um, people that are affected by CPTSD experienced uh, the prolonged chronic, so meaning repeated over and over again, not a one time and not in one context, but in every area and every context of your life, this um, interpersonal threat and instability was there. Hmm. Um, CPTSD, some of the symptoms would be like trouble concentrating, significant sleep disturbances, insomnia, general nightmares, terrors, flashbacks, visual, somatic, and hmm. emotional. And this is one of my big ones that I, I never understood why I felt this way until learning about CPTSD. Because PTSD talks about flashbacks as visual or somatic. So things that you see, like you see the mm -hmm. images in your mind or you feel the things in your body. My flashbacks are always emotional. And what that means is someone will wow. do something that triggers me and it will bring up an emotion so deep within me that is way, 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 um, way bigger than it should be. Mm -hmm. So like someone might say something that made me, makes me feel um, afraid to be abandoned or makes me feel like I might be sexually abused. And they might have just made a comment about their marriage and something that was happening between them and their husband. And all of a sudden, I have these overpowering emotions that I am wondering what in the world, why am I so out of control right now? And so that's one of my biggest um, symptoms is emotional flashbacks. Some of the other things that people with CPTSD experience would be things like loss of memory, of larger periods of their life, those time gaps that we were talking about, uh, which I have, I don't remember, I have a few memories of my childhood before age five, and then the majority of my memories until I'm about 17 years old are just gone. Mm -hmm. I have little snippets here and there of specific events or, or things like that, but day to day, I can only remember two of my teachers from the time I was in kindergarten all the way until I was a, a senior in high school. Wow. Um, and that was Mrs. Rudingardner, who was my second grade teacher when we lived in uh, Colorado, and she made me feel really seen and heard. And then uh, Mr. Griffin when I was in ninth grade. And yeah. he, I was struggling with you know drug and alcohol use, and he called me out in my history class, and he's like, you should be in AP history. And it was the first time that anyone had ever said anything about me having any kind of intelligence or wow. like potential. And so he actually took me out of his regular history class and put me into AP history. Hmm. And um, it just that those are the two teachers that I remember. I funny, I only remember two teachers as well when when I don't remember my memories. So like I'd mentioned earlier, my memories start more forming around the age of 12. Like I remember a lot more. Um, so middle school, I remember a majority of my teachers, but elementary, I only remember, I think it was a first grade teacher and I don't remember her name, mm -hmm. but I at least remember her. And mm -hmm. like the other, like there's no like picture, there's no idea of the other teachers. And then the other one, Again, I, I have a really hard time with the timeline, and a lot of the times this will actually, like, make me angry. It'll mm -hmm. make me upset. It happened yesterday at work, actually. I was trying to 
explain a situation that had happened to me when I was younger. Like I'd got a really bad cut on my foot, but I couldn't remember the age that I was. Mm. And that was really bothering me. But same thing for this. I don't remember the age I was, so I can't say what grade she was but it was miss waterworth and i actually ah. saw her the other day in Aww. town and she remembered me did she of yes course. She loved yes you. and Aww. so that was like the biggest thing to me of like oh my gosh one of the one teachers that i remembered like remembered me Aww. and it was really significant it actually so powerful yeah it almost makes me want to cry <laughs> just hearing it um i heard on jason valentin is a guy who has like a um a podcast and a ministry out mm-hmm. in California all about like relationship and healing. And I heard on his podcast um, or on his Instagram, this thing that just blew my mind, right? So when we're stressed, when we're being traumatized, our body releases um, cortisol, 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 that hormone, that's the stress hormone. And it just floods our body. But when we're with someone who loves us, we release oxytocin, which is the bonding or the love hormone, quote mm-hmm. unquote. And what they said is that when the um, oxytocin is released, it actually cleans your blood of cortisol, which means that the Bible verse that says perfect love casts out all fear mm-hmm. is actually proven in our blood. Wow. That when our cortisol is high because we're being abused or neglected and we're with someone like Mrs. Waterworth who made you feel loved, it actually cleansed your blood of the fear in the time you were with you with her and bonded you to her. That's crazy. Isn't that, that insane? Is so crazy. I know. Um, so yeah, the other things, uh, getting back to the symptoms of what people might experience, um, they might experience dissociative symptoms, developmental disruption or regression, and um, dissociative symptoms, I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on that, on yeah. its own, you know? Right. Um, dissociative identity disorder is a, a spectrum of things. But basically, when someone's being abused and they can't get away, they're experiencing that trauma where they're helpless, they're, our minds are so incredibly powerful that they create an out for us so that we mm-hmm. don't have to experience what's happening to us. And so that's one of the symptoms. Um, the other, always feeling emotionally on edge, no safe Uh, time in your life to return to or to look back to chronic emotional dysregulation anxiety loneliness and abandonment Um, when you think of emotional dysregulation it's not just like oh I can't control myself but it's the emotions that are so strong that once you feel them you can't unfeel them like it's not something you can get out of on your own and I've been experiencing this recently where I'm having, I'm, I'm working through attachment pain. And when I experience the attachment pain, it actually feels like a literal hole in my heart. Wow. Like there's a, there's a hole in my chest. And it's really interesting because I've learned that our brain and our, our mind is not just our encapsulated brain. It's not just the organ in our head. Our mind is actually throughout our whole nervous system. And there are neurons, which are mind brain cells, around our heart and around our stomach. Hmm. And that's why people will be like, I'm not okay right now. My stomach's upset, like something is wrong. It's Mm -hmm. because their mind is telling them something's not right. Or why our heart might break in those moments. Wow. Um, The other thing that people might experience would be uh, injury to their relationship with themselves. So they might have self-loathing, a poor self-concept, an inner critic, self-abandonment, meaning I am going to get rid of anything that is close to my true heart and my true self because nobody's ever accepted it before. Mm -hmm. 
And so they don't actually ever live to their potential of who they are or yeah. in their identity because others haven't wanted them to. Wow. Um, the other thing that they, people with CPTSD chronically struggle with would be toxic shame. Hmm. And that feeling of, um, I heard the, this, the definition of shame once as the belief that we are uniquely and fatally flawed, meaning there's something wrong with me that nobody else struggles with. And no matter what I do, I won't ever get better. Hmm. Um, they might also have somatic distress, which would be uh, chronic body issues, chronic body pain. A lot of people with CPTSD actually have fibromyalgia and other uh, pain-related diagnoses. And then um, avoidance of interpersonal relationships, social anxiety, significant interpersonal difficulty. And then one of the last symptoms that I struggle with quite a bit is depersonalization. Hmm. Depersonalization, when you hear that, you think like, oh, does someone think they're not a human? That's not exactly what it is. Um, depersonalization is like the belief that I'm living in a video game. Like there are times when I literally am like, <gasps> is this a game? Like, dude, am I a non, am I, is everybody else around me an NPC? And I, I have an actual character like living have to this show life you this. Right okay. Okay. You didn't know Over that. Over the years. <laughs> no, I did not. Over the years, Millie and I have talked and she's, I don't want to say convinced because, but whatever, she's tried convincing me like, you don't just have PTSD, but I believe you have CPTSD, which yes, I most likely do because reading the description, I was exposed to those things before the age of eight and they were repeated. But I didn't know that that was a symptom because when I was younger, I would always ask my cousin Alicia, who I've had on the podcast before, like, okay, you all know the Truman movie. Yes. Before I watched that movie, before I knew it was a thing, I was experiencing that, I swear. And mm -hmm. I would always ask Alicia, even before I knew that that movie was a thing, is everybody actors? Like, mm -hmm. are you acting? And she would, like, kind of play along or she would be like, oh, I will never tell you. And the other day at work, I was talking to my friend who has also experienced trauma growing up, which now I should probably tell her that this is a symptom. We had both, I had told her that, and she didn't believe that someone else had felt like that mm -hmm. before. And so as, like, proof to myself so that I could make sure that I was remembering correctly, I asked Alicia, literally just asked her on October 5th, hey, remember when I used to ask you if you were a paid actor in my life? Yeah. And then she said yes. So that's really crazy. Yeah. So you you perceived it more as like I a video that. game. Yeah. Well, kind of. Yeah. Or like every or I'm being experimented on. That's okay. another thing oh, wow. that I felt often was like people were coming into my life because they were going to try this new strategy to see if it would work hmm. to make me normal. Like the government. It never worked. Yeah. <laughs> Not I don't know if it's the government or who. Um, there's other times where it's felt like. Um, on a more like faith base where it's felt like more like the Truman show where like God is just trying out different options on people to hmm. see who's going to do what based on what they face. And um, I'm always like, I want to be good. I want to do the right thing. Um, another thing that's really super interesting with CPTSD is that people with CPTSD oftentimes completely lose their faith and they give up 100% on hmm. believing in God and following God because of the horror and terror of what they've been through and yeah. not being able to understand the darkness and the evil within other people and within themselves. I can see that. Mm -hmm. It's been a huge thing for me because a yeah. lot of times I feel, um, as I'm processing through different stuff, I feel so separated from God. If, if you're comfortable 
and I don't know how much it applies, but I just thought of it, and it is a really powerful story, but of the night you locked yourself in your room to read your Bible. Oh, when I first became a believer? Yeah. For like three days. Yeah. 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 But that, so that was when I first became a Christian, and I was struggling, like, I had been struggling terribly with addictions, mm -hmm. and I had been acting one way on the outside and living another way on the inside, and I finally had this moment where God was like, do you want, you know, do you want me? And I was like, yeah, I want you. So I locked myself in my room and I fasted and prayed for like three days straight and because I wanted to quit my addictions. Mm -hmm. And my sister um, thought I went crazy and she called my mom and she's like, remember how, you know, how when people are going crazy, they lock themselves in their room and get all <laughs> religious. Well, I think there's something wrong with Mill. And, um, but it was a huge, powerful thing for me to just, submit all of that mm -hmm. to God and he met me there in that yeah, room yeah like over and over again if any of you guys are listening and you're you're feeling like I feel where there's times where you feel so close to God and then the next thing you know it's like the the switch flipped and you feel completely distant um the just thing, lock yourself in, in your, your room, room for three days <laughs> <laughs> you can do that I would say there's a lot less dramatic way to deal with it now that was when I was um 17 and the way I deal with it now is I remind God what he said, which is that he's the one who gives us the desire to do what pleases him and the power to carry it out. And so when I'm really struggling, I basically say to God, like, I can't hold up our relationship anymore. You're going to have to come do something mm. or we're over. <laughs> we're <laughs> and I don't, I don't say it like that, but that's kind of how I feel. And he comes through every time. And then the other thing um, I would say is read the Psalms. That's what my mentor yeah. has been encouraging me is just read the Psalms because when David wrote those Psalms, he was like in agony yeah, and afraid. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, yeah, that's a huge, a huge thing you can do that will help tremendously. Yeah. So, and kind of closing here, we'll hit on one other thing, but what are some different things that you do to heal from your trigger or to heal from your overall trauma? Sure. So um, I'm still in this process and I'm still learning this. And so I'll share my experience, but I don't have it down yet. Like I don't have a system that works every time. Mm -hmm. um, but the main thing that I've been working on is allowing people to be with me. Because trauma happens when we're alone. We feel powerless. We feel like there's no one there to help us. And so when I get to that dark place within myself, typically I'll isolate and I'll go and I'll hide on my own. I'll go in my bedroom, I'll go in my bathroom, I'll go in my car, mm -hmm. and I just won't let anyone in. And in those moments, I even think, like, I should call someone, or I should I should reach out to them. But it's like I reach out my hand, and then I have this invisible image of my hand just being slapped away. Yeah. Like, I can't do that. And so the big thing I'm doing right now is in the middle of a trigger, I am reaching out to people and asking them to be with me. And part of the reason why I've had such a hard time with that is because... I've, I've seen that when I get in those dark places, sometimes it seems overwhelming for others. And so then it's like they, they don't know what to do there. And so they try to help because it's uncomfortable for them. Mm -hmm. And so it's too overwhelming for them. So then they try to remind me of all the good things in my life or they try to tell me how to change or whatever it might be. And in that moment, I don't need that. Yeah. I just need someone to sit with me and hold my hand while I clench my whole body and cry ugly tears. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's that. And then the other thing that I learned um, when it comes to those repressed memories that I was talking about with the micro voltage, our 
um, nervous system grows just like our muscular system. So our muscles will grow as we lift weights and we'll actually see that. Like we'll see our muscles get bigger and our body get more toned, but our nervous system is electrical. And so it doesn't grow in a way that we can see. We're not gonna get bulky or anything like that, but we actually grow in our capacity to handle electrical impulses. Hmm. And the way that we do that is twofold. One, we grow in building joy with others. So as we can build joy and connect with others, they become people that we can be safe with to share some of these bigger um, experiences, bigger memories that are triggering for us. And then two, uh, I heard this, Dr. Jim Wilder is someone who I follow that has an amazing outlook on all this stuff. I've learned so much from him. And um, he said, when it comes to being triggered, uh, you don't try to learn how to swim in the middle of a tsunami. And so if you think that you're going to be able to help yourself be able to handle a trigger in the middle of a trigger, you're going to drown just like you would in a tsunami. But you learn how to swim in a pool. Mm-hmm. So we practice growing our capacity to deal with negative emotional things by thinking about a small thing that was upsetting to us, but it wasn't overwhelming. We think about that. We think about how it made us feel. And then we think about how we got back to ourselves. And we practice basically by growing our ability to tolerate bigger and heavier, quote unquote, electrically heavier memories and experiences. Yeah. So then when we get triggered, we can actually begin to handle that. Yeah. Um, Another practical thing that I'm working on is learning to rest. I've found that in my striving, even in my rest, I'm not resting. And so like, I'll try to like do some kind of craft. And then instead of it being like a fun, relaxing thing, I'm like, okay, let's get this done as fast as we can. Oh, got it done. And then I'm like, get through with my rest. And I'm like, oh, I feel more tired yeah. than when I started. So I'm trying to figure out, and I don't know how to do this yet. So I'm just, you know, I'm just being vulnerable with you guys that like, I'm, I'm recognizing these things about myself and I'm trying to figure it out. I don't fully know yet what gives me rest. When I want to sleep, oftentimes I'm so overcome with my thoughts that I can't actually shut my brain off and go Mm -hmm. to sleep. Um, Exercise maybe will help. I have not tried that yet (laughs) either. (laughs) I'm guessing people say it does, but I haven't gotten there. Typically I read. Mm -hmm. That's what I like to do. Or I zone out. And so that's what I'm trying not to do. I'm trying to stay off my phone as much as I can. Good. Uh, Yeah. Those are the main ones I do. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. um, For me, I've... Well, this last season was hard, as I've shared briefly throughout this podcast, but I have been trying to, well, I'm really self-aware of myself and my emotions, and I can almost know instantly what I'm feeling. God has blessed me with that wisdom for myself, but it's not very often that I actually will communicate that with the person that Mm -hmm. I'm with. Mm -hmm. So I may be feeling really hurt, or they might have just said something that triggered something for me in the past, and... I'll see the pattern as to why and I'll recognize like, oh, hey, what you just said, I'm aware you didn't mean this, but this is what it triggered inside of me. That's what I see inside. But what they see inside is me shutting down and Mm -hmm. going silent. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, more frustration comes from the other person and then more shutting downness happens in me. And so I've been trying to heal from that and Um, become an overcomer of that and so I've been slowly with the people that I'm closer with letting them know as soon as I recognize that I'm hurt by something that they might have done or something that they might have said or not said and so I've been trying to heal through that and it's actually been 
working really well for the people that have been receiving it. That's really good, Julie. Yeah, it's been really hard and really emotional and um, draining in all of the ways, but really good. And then another way is the resting. I struggle with that too, partly because I'm a perfectionist and I'm really critical of the things that I do. Like even reading, I wish I could say reading is always some relaxing thing for me, but if I hate the book, I'll like force myself to finish it. And it's because it's like a thing to be done and a thing to be accomplished. But I just got over that. I just quit the book that I was trying to read. So proud uh, of you. Thank Change you. woman. Thank, it really was hard on it. I still have my bookmark in the book in case I decide to ever go back and try to read it. But um, yeah, relaxing. And then I, just talking to people and I, for a long time, I stopped processing all the things that I went through because I felt like I finally had come to a place in my life where I was like, yeah, no, I can function now. And like things are good. And I at least recognize when things go wrong within me, I recognize why. And I can pin it back to a time in my childhood. But that's not good enough. Like, I mean, I, I was functioning and relationships were okay. But so now this last season, I've been trying to reconnect with my childhood. That sounds so dramatic. But it's really, really yeah, it is really good because then more healing and more growth and more um, connectedness can happen. Yeah, well, the thing about it is, like, a lot of people who didn't have um, traumatic experiences in childhood don't understand the ways that it actually rewires our brain. And body, and so, yeah. yeah. And so people will say, well, just let go. You just got to let go of that. And letting go is not something you can do when your brain has been rewired. You can learn to rewire your brain. Mm -hmm. I think that's the amazing way about how we were created. But you can't just let go of the things that have happened and the experiences you've had and the patterns that you've learned. Like we it's a it's a whole process that people have to go through. Yeah. And um, I wanted to say something about you were sharing about how you're perfectionist. I learned recently that people who've experienced trauma, there's like this square window and there's a middle third and in there is what you would call integration and above that is rigidity and below that is chaos hmm. and so most people will if they've experienced trauma they'll fall into either rigidity where you're like i have to be perfect i have to do this right i'm going to follow these rules i'm going to do this and this and this and this and i'm going to be in control of my life because yeah. i never was oh, before yeah that's me to uh, a t <laughs> and then there's the other side which is the chaos which is like Wah! everything's a mess and i can't do anything i'm supposed to do like scattered brain yeah that's okay. like me interesting and so the goal is to wreck and it's funny because some things in me are very chaotic and some things are very uh, rigid. Oh, I but would say I'm just get, up on that top Yeah, <laughs> so then the goal is to get to move into the middle third, the integration, and even just doing simple things like um, putting your book down and deciding to be done. That that's moving. Yeah. It's, it seems simple, but it's actually moving you out of that window of rigidity into integration and accepting the way things are and the way you want them to Interesting. be. Interesting. Yeah, I learned so, about that in um, The Mindful Therapist by Dan Siegel. Crazy. Yeah. So then, then I, now I've got a question that just provoked. Okay. So you, you've got all the personality types, right? Like type A, type Bs, all that stuff. And I'm not talking like the Enneagram and all that. So some of those are like rigid and more like rule followers. Mm -hmm. And so now that goes to say that God does make some, like God makes you uniquely you and how you're supposed to function. And mm -hmm. so how can we decipher what part of me did God truly make just a yeah. rule follower and mm -hmm. someone who likes to be more like seemingly outwardly put together mm -hmm. than the one who 
doesn't necessarily always care to follow the rules or doesn't care to appear a little bit more chaotic. So what part of that is how he made us and then what part of that comes from trauma? So what's really, really interesting about this whole conversation is that healing is actually becoming who God intended us to be before life happened. Mm -hmm. And so if we have this propensity within us, what it means is that it was probably how God created you, but because you didn't get the protection and the nurturance, it became overgrown. Exactly. And so, yeah. And so the things that happen to us, and even with people who have like dissociative identity disorder, they have these different parts of themselves. Some people are so compartmentalized that it's a completely different personality that they don't know about. Some people are fragmented where it's just a part of them that they recognize is there. And each of those parts are actually part of the way that God created them to be from before they were even born that had to become overgrown in order to protect them from the negative experiences in life. And so um, I, I would say that as far as like figuring out what's you and what's not is when does it feel driven like within you that it's like so driven that you feel like you're going to fail or you feel you're a horrible person if you don't complete what you said. And when is it like the desire and you really want to do it? Mm. The dysfunction is when it begins to impair your daily living. Okay. And so, I mean, that's kind of like with any diagnosis in mental health, that's what they say is as soon as it begins to impair your daily living, then that's, that's when it really, um, is a, is a problem. Right. But it's hard because those are part of who Mm -hmm. we are and the uniqueness and how God made us and what we need to survive and what we bring to the world. Right. Because each of us brings something different to the world that is important and needs to be shared. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to wrap up this episode, but it, first of all, has been like a huge honor just having you on here and hearing your insight and wisdom on trauma and all that. (laughs) So anyway. Thanks, um, Kelly. Yes. The moral of everything that we're saying, though, is community. We were made to be in community and to spend life together and share the ups and downs. And yeah, and so that's what Millie and I are learning together and apart from our friendship is just sharing experiences Mm -hmm. and letting people in. And as she shared, she's learning to ask people, can you come just be with me as I'm sitting in this and as I'm grieving this memory or this loss or this experience? And I'm learning to let people into my thoughts and my processes instead of just shutting them out. Mm -hmm. And so in one word, we're learning community over again. And Mm -hmm. that's something we'll always be learning, Mm -hmm. as should you. So that's Yeah, that's in closing. Do you Mm -hmm. have anything else you want to say? Yeah, I guess the last thing I would say, well, first of all, thank you for having me (laughs) and being so sweet. Um, But also just to have kindness and compassion with yourself as you Mm -hmm. go through this process. And also, you know, like we look at these things and we get mad at ourselves and wonder why am I this way? We're this way because of where we grew up. And the people that raised us are the way they are because of where they grew up. Trauma is a generational thing that oftentimes... Um, if it's not acknowledged, it doesn't get resolved. And Mm -hmm. so you're taking a great step by recognizing that. And I just encourage you to keep pressing in and, and don't give up. Yeah. So I'm leaving this, well, all my podcasts are, but specifically this one as an open conversation. So if you have any more questions or, um, 
if you just simply need someone to talk to about an experience you've never opened up about. So you can definitely DM me and I would love to sit with you and talk with you and hopefully lead you in the right directions. Um, yeah, so that's that and this is Joe and I gotta go.